Father, I'm just so thankful for you and your word and so grateful for this precious group that's gathered here tonight. And I pray, Lord, that as we just review, recap, and understand a little bit more of this season called the second coming and how we're to be in waiting for it, would you give us wisdom? In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. amen. You have your seat. If you remember from last week, something supernatural happened. There were 10 lepers, not one, not two, 10 lepers who showed up in the temple and everybody knew they were lepers, an incurable disease. Remember, in the Old Testament, there were only a couple of people that were healed of leprosy. Naaman was one of them. Miriam was one of them. And if you remember, when Moses' hand went into his cloak and brought it out, it had leprosy. Then he put it back in, brought it out. It's like uh, he came back and his hand was clear. So we know there's only a, a few healings of leprosy. When the priest was to look at leprosy, it wasn't to heal the leper. It was to confirm that it was leprosy. And then what happened is you had to wear a sign, I'm a leper. Uh, the Pharisees of Jesus' time would throw rocks at the lepers, letting them know, don't come near. So now you've got these 10 lepers that are walking towards the temple. Everyone knows who they are because they were in and around Jerusalem. And they come walking. Imagine the scene when they go to the, uh, to the priest and they say, would you inspect me? I've been healed. Well, this had to cause, I mean, this was probably better than any of the, uh, 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 what do you call them, the magazines that um, produce the gossip and get it out to the world. I mean, it's better than social media. You've got to imagine what was going on in Jerusalem when these 10 lepers were healed. Well, the Pharisees show up and they ask Jesus about this experience in John, uh, excuse me, in Luke's gospel, chapter 17, uh, the the Pharisees come to him and they start asking him about the kingdom of God. Well, Jesus answers in regards to the kingdom of God, and he makes it very clear if you would take a look at Luke 17, 24, for as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part of, under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. So Luke is letting us know that Jesus is talking about the second coming. But he lets the disciples know something, if you remember, that there was going to be a season between the first and the second coming. He says to them, you're not going to be around when I come. You're going to wish that I was, but you're not going to be around during this season. Uh, if you remember, we studied the parable of the widow. We're going to get there in just a moment that Jesus says that he's going to bear long with uh, the disciples. That means there's going to be a period of time. So what Jesus does is he gives two stories, two stories to help us understand exactly how we're to wait as we are in the middle of this period of time between the first and the second coming. Those two stories are found in Luke chapter 18. I'm just going to read through the one because we've already gone through it. So he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Now what I didn't say last week was this Greek word lose heart is that men will have courage, that the church will actually be courageous. Um, do you remember when Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail? So many people have taken that verse in context and they've, they, out of context and they've said, well, the enemy is going to attack the church. But that's not what Jesus is saying. 
He is saying that the gates of hell will not be able to hold up against the attack of the church. The gates of hell will not prevail. They will not hold up. So the church is a powerful force. We are to be courageous. And in, the, in between of the first and the second coming, he's saying, let me tell you how you're going to be able to make it. You need to pray. And you need to pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to have the courage. And he uses a story that is not a comparison, but it's a contrasting story. Let's read it. There was a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. So we know he's doing a contrasting story because God loves man so much so he gave his only son. <coughs> now there was a widow in that city, once again contrasting to the church. Remember, we are not the widow. We are married to the groom. His name is Jesus. And so we're not in this condition where she had to go by herself, standing outside the tent, not even able to go inside the tent, which was the courtroom of the first century world. And she had to scream outside, listen to my case, listen to my case. Well, we have an advocate with the Father. His name is Jesus. So he's using a story to contrast the church and contrast God the Father. And he says this, widow in that city, and she came to him saying, get justice for me for my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, though I don't fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I'll avenge her. Lest by her continual coming, she weary me. So the Lord says, hear what the unjust judge said. So now I'm going to communicate the heavenly father. So in other words, if he's unjust, doesn't regard man, and the persistence of this widow won him over, how much more the heavenly father? Look at verse 7. And shall not God, in other words, how much more, and shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out to him day and night, though he bears long with them? I tell you, he'll avenge them speedily, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? And what Jesus is doing is encouraging. He's not, he is not saying, listen, no one's going to be faithful when I come back. What he's saying is very clearly, I'm encouraging you to be people of prayer. Because it's at the place of prayer that you're going to find courage. You know what I found in the church? Prayer is the most talked about topic and the most least accomplished. Think for a minute of your own prayer life. Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you, Lord. <laughs> I'm up, Lord. Think of your own prayer life for just a moment. How many of you have prayed through the night? And really, you were just falling in and out of sleep, and God just kept waking you up because he wasn't done in conversation with you. How many of our prayer life is like this? Hey, Lord, just want to thank you for the day. Thank you for all you give me. Thank you for what you've got. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. Thank you for this. And got to go by. Amen. And God the whole time is trying to get your attention, trying to speak into your prayer life. So I just want you to evaluate your own prayer life for a minute because what Jesus is doing is evaluating your prayer life. He knows you will find courage when you pray. Why do you think he told the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, watch and pray? What did they do? They fell asleep. So when the soldiers came in, what did the disciples do? They ran away. 
one of them even naked, so afraid they ripped his clothes and he runs away buck naked. If they would have prayed like Jesus encouraged them to do, they may have found the courage to stand. So Jesus, like the Garden of Gethsemane, is telling the church, watch and pray. Be people of prayer. You're going to find courage in these last days. And the quote that I said um, this uh, last week was, persistent prayer produces perseverance. Persistent prayer produces perseverance. Be people of prayer. So here's my challenge to you. Add five minutes to your prayer life tomorrow. And then add five minutes more. And then add five minutes after that. You're going to find that when you get into the presence of the Almighty God, you might be like Oswald Chambers and say this. You'll realize that your problems were never really problems in the first place. It was God's opportunity to teach, to train, and to advance his kingdom. Now what Jesus does is tell a second story. Let's take a look. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Luke is still trying to prove his point about how we're to make it between the first and the second coming. And he points out the difference of the prayer life of a Pharisee and a publican. Now, Pharisees were the big God people. They were the pastors. They were the bishops. They were the people that wore the robes and the phylacteries, and they smelled good. They looked good. They, they, had, they had an appearance of religiosity. The publican was the Jewish guy that everybody hated. He was working for Rome. He was collecting taxes. A famous publican would have been Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was... He climbed up in a sycamore tree. You guys remember the song, right? And what did Jesus say? Hey, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. I'm coming to your house tonight. Because Jesus loved the publican. And he loved Zacchaeus because he was seeking Jesus. He wanted to see him. And so what the Lord does is he takes someone hated in culture, the publican, who was the Roman worker extorting money from the Jews, and he takes the Pharisee, who everyone thought to be the religious person. Let's pick up the story to see how we should pray in between this first and this second coming. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So he's got everyone's attention. Oh, the Pharisee is praying. Let's look. Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Can I make mention that Jesus makes it very clear he's not talking to God. The only person he's talking to is himself. Keep that in mind. Jesus points out God doesn't hear this. He's praying to himself, okay? And he goes on. Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, can I remind you, God's not listening. Because Jesus is letting us know God doesn't listen to this. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar would not so much as raise his eyes. Stop there if you would. God doesn't hear this. There's a character of God that I hate to uh, uh, excuse me, I don't hate to, but I think you may hate to hear. God opposes the proud, but gives more grace to the humble. Two times it's repeated in Scripture. James chapter 4 in the New Testament. James 4 verse 6 and 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 5. 
Now, none of us like the opposition of God. We always want God on our side, especially if you're a student and you're taking a test. You want to make sure God's on your side because you'll go to church every Sunday if he'll just help you pass this test. Do you remember those prayers? None of us want God's opposition. And what Jesus is saying is, don't be like this guy. God, don't hear this guy. This guy that thinks he's all of that, and he points, think of this poor publican over in, this, in the story. I'm thankful I'm not like that guy. Can you imagine if I did that tonight? Oh, I'm so thankful I'm not like Tom Yankoff. Let me tell you about him. Now, I know you guys are thinking to yourself, um, Tom's probably thankful he's not like you. Yeah, I know he is the holy, right? I understand that. But can you imagine if I got up on Sunday morning and I said, oh, I'm so thankful I'm not like Sherry Warhol. I mean, just imagine, she'd probably stand up and debate me and we'd have an upstream right there and then. But the point is, this guy goes to God with pride and arrogance, Pride and arrogance. Solomon, when he wrote in Ecclesiastes, he said this, take time when you go before God. Remember who you are and remember who he is. Take time. So when we go before God, hey, big daddy in the sky, excuse me? My dad would execute me if I prayed that way. Yo, God, what's up? Now, I know there are many ways to speak to God. He speaks Spanish. He speaks uh, 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 all kinds of languages. And I know that he can hear every kind of language. But the way that we approach God with the language that we speak should be reverent. I guarantee that if he would give us just for a moment an image of the throne room where we get to see the crystal sea, the storm behind him, the throne that he sits on, the emerald rain, just for a moment, none of us would go, yo, daddy, what's up? We'd all bow. And so he says, don't come to God with pride and arrogance of your humanity and how good you are. But he says this about this publican, and here's where we wrap up. So he says, um, but the tax collector standing afar off would not much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. In other words, I recognize who I am before God. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be, will, will be exalted. I'll never forget the year that we switched at Calvary Fort Lauderdale from going Mr. Lowe to Mr. Chet. I'm Mr. Chet. It did something. I want to become relatable. I'm no longer an authority. I want to relate to you. I have a lot of parents that purpose to be friends with their kids before their parents. And then they sit in my office when they're 16, wondering why they have so much turmoil with their kids because they went the friend route instead of the authority route. God's our authority. And I don't know what his last name is, but I would wonder if the Jews wouldn't even say his first name and wouldn't even write his first name, have we lost a little bit of that authority in our culture and we actually denounce it because we want to make God relatable when he's an authority, an authority. And so here he says, listen, if you want to come before me, be like this tax collector. Now, let me tell you, when you come with a heart and a desire that God is God and I am not, and that he's the authority and I am not, what happens is he gives more grace to the humble. 
Do you remember in uh, Hebrews chapter 4 where we're encouraged to come to the throne room of grace to find mercy in our time of need, to find grace in our time of need? It's the throne room of mercy, and we need to go in a manner and a measure that honors God and his authority. And he gives a great example here. Take a look. We're going to close here, verse 15. Then they also brought infants to him that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him and said, now remember, he's speaking about this illustration of how to be between this first and this second coming. He's talking to the church that you need to be people of prayer. And now he uses this moment to further accentuate these two stories like an incredible teacher. Let the little children come to me. Don't forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of God. Surely I say to you, whoever does not receive or embrace the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. When my kids were little, daddy, 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 I had to teach them to not be as persistent. Dad's talking. You're going to need to wait. And then what would happen two seconds later? Daddy. Daddy, you're talking way too long. Do you guys remember that as parents? They were persistent like the widow. Kids are persistent. And so we can learn the lesson from a child in being purposely persistent with our prayers to find the courage that we need. But something else about a child. Children know they have a need. There's a difference between a man and a woman. Let me give you an illustration. When Andrea breaks down on the 405, she doesn't lift up her hood and look inside as if she's going to know what she's looking at. She's humble enough to recognize, I'm not a mechanic. You know what guys do? We get out of the car, we lift up the hood, we look at this sea of blackness. Maybe it's got a little red in it, we don't know. It's got a wire here and a wire there. But we want to look like we know what we're doing. You see, I would rather go the Andrea route with God. I know I have a need. And that's children. Children know, I need your help to get to that cookie. I need your help to accomplish this task. Infants know, I can't do this without you. And so they will cry and cry persistently until their mother gives them a bottle. They know their mom is the only one that can answer this request. So God uses this child and says, hey, be like a child. Be persistent and recognize I'm the one that can help you with this need. Not your ingenuity, not your practicality, not you logically figuring this out. Trust me and come to me. I will show you the way. Amen? Amen.